Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Scripture says this, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever therefore putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the gathering of these people who come to worship you in unity and in fellowship. We thank you for your word, God, that is true, that holds truth and is true in every single measure and portion. Whether it be a paragraph or whether it be a statement or whether it be a jot or tittle, Your word has been given to us, and it is true. We acknowledge this, and we acknowledge that it has been given to us for knowledge, for wisdom, for guidance, that we might obey it. We pray, God, that you would help us to receive it well. Be with the pastor as he speaks to us and presents your word to us. Help him to speak truth only and help us to apply your word rightly. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. We've got an interesting, interesting set of verses in front of us this morning, don't we? This is um, very interesting. I mean, last week we had the parable of the of the dishonest manager, and then next week we're going to have Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus, and then kind of just sandwich in between those is these is this um, this few verses here where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Um, and, uh, and commentators will tell you that this is probably the highlights of a, of a longer conversation. We're getting, we're getting the highlights here. We don't exactly have all the transitions, uh, but we know that this is all a conversation that, that, that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And so this morning, what we're going to do for the sermon is we're going to see Three things that Jesus says to the Pharisees. That's sort of, a, that's sort of the, the outline this morning. Three things Jesus says to the Pharisees. And then we're going to close up the sermon with, with one thing this passage says to Christians. So there's three things Jesus says to Pharisees. And then there's one thing this passage says to, to Christians. So, if you're keeping score at home, this is a four-point sermon. We'll see... Um, this morning, what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees, and then we're going to see what we can learn as believers, assuming we are believers. So let's dig in. The first thing Jesus says to the Pharisees is this. He says to them, he says, you look good 
to the people around you. You look good to the people around you. Verse 14 and then the beginning of 15 say, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. And so Luke, um, Luke's got this underlying theme, all right? And, uh, and so Luke is the one who says, the Pharisees were lovers of money. That's interesting. The Pharisees were lovers of money. Luke sort of just slides that in. Um, and, and then he says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. Now, these things is that, is that parable that we talked about last week. And the parable wraps up with, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, Jesus wasn't talking directly to the Pharisees when he told that parable. That, that parable was for his followers. It was, it was for the people who, um, who were trusting him and following him. The people that, you know, the people that wanted to follow Jesus. But then there's a big crowd of people there, and the Pharisees were there, and they were listening. And when Jesus says you can't serve God and money, that touched a nerve. It touched a nerve. Luke has this underlying theme that's, that, that, that's working the, the way through his story of Jesus. Um, and, and you'll notice it if you, if you look for it here. Luke makes this connection between loving money and self-justification. Luke sees a connection between people who want more than anything else to look good in front of others those people often love money. Because if you have money, you look good. You look successful. You look like you know what you're doing. This happens a lot in the church world. In the church world, if you have money, people think, people just assume that you're doing something right. You must be a good, faithful, hard worker. God must be happy with you. And so, in the church world, it was true in the first century, and it's true today, oftentimes if you have money, people like you more. They they want your support. They want your friendship. They they want you to be, they, they, they want you to like them. They want you to be in their church, supporting their ministry. And so what happens is, we already have this weird tendency in us to think, If I'm doing okay financially, God must be happy with me. We already think that. Even though we have a whole book here telling us, actually, the the people who are rich, usually they're the ones who are in the worst shape spiritually. Even though we have lots of evidence against that, we, we assume I'm doing okay financially, God must be happy with me. So we kind of assume that, but then also the world around us sort of operates that way. And so the Pharisees, they, they worked hard. Luke will, Luke will tell us in his gospel. They, they made sure that they were well connected to rich, influential people. They made sure that they themselves were doing pretty good money-wise. And Luke is drawing a connection here. This is part of their desire to look good in front of other people. Luke is just making that connection. And, and, and Jesus says to them, you know, it's, it's working. 
You do look good in front of other people. You justify yourselves before men. People, people think you're doing great. They think you're holy. They think you're righteous. They think God must be happy with you. You're, you're trying to look good in front of people and you're succeeding. The people around you are impressed. It's the first thing Jesus says to these Pharisees. You look good to people around you. Now, let's stop and be honest for a moment. I know we don't love to be honest in church, but sometimes we need to. This is a huge temptation for all of us, isn't it? This is a huge temptation for every human everywhere. One of the biggest, most constant desires in each of us is the desire to have other people think we're good, that we're right, that we're doing okay, that God is most likely happy with us. There's a, there's, a, there's a temptation, there's a drive in each of us to have other people approve of us. So now, what I've noticed over the last few years is something very interesting. We, we know this is a temptation for churchy people, right? For, for people who do church stuff. This is a temptation for folks who are faithful to church It's a temptation to kind of go through the motions just to impress people, just because we don't want people to ask what's wrong with us. We don't want people checking on us. So we come and we do the stuff, right? We come to church, we give our money, we do whatever, we do the stuff, but our hearts are far from God. There's no love for God within us. There's no love for His glory. There's no humility before God. There's no love for other people. We're just trying to kind of impress other people. Make sure that they think we're fine. So that's a, it's a temptation for church people. But what I've noticed also is that it's a temptation for folks who reject the idea of church altogether. There's a, there's a lot of people who reject the teaching of the Bible and they do so because they want to look kind. They want to look loving. They want to look empathetic. They just want to impress people. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moral hypocrisy from all kinds of people. We all want to feel good about ourselves and we all know the quickest way to feel good about ourselves is to have at least a few people who are impressed with you. This is a temptation for all humans. The desire to look good to the people around you. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've done it. Yea, you. You look good to the people around you. But then here's the second thing he says. Number two, you're an abomination in the sight of God. Verse 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Good job. But God knows your hearts. I'm not sure there's a scarier verse in the Bible. There's a scarier phrase in the Bible than that one. God knows your hearts. You guys can fool me. I can fool you. No one fools God. God knows our hearts. And then he says, For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. All of us in this room 
have the social skill to come and be churchy once a week. And even, even get pretty churchy when we run into churchy people at Owens or Kroger or whatever it's called. We all, we all have the social skill to do that. But God knows whether or not we actually love Him. God knows whether or not we actually love the people around us. God knows whether or not we're humbly trusting in His grace. God knows whether we are filled with pride and with greed. God knows our hearts. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, your desire to impress other people because it comes from a heart that could care less about God is an abomination before God. You don't love God within your heart. But you've got all the people around you convinced that you do. This is an abomination. There's not a stronger word for sin in the Bible than abomination. Abomination just means God, it is, it completely disgusts God. I mean, you think of sexual immorality, that's an abomination. You think of murder, that's an abomination. Paul, or Jesus here is putting, he's, he's, he's putting this sin with those sins. He's saying, he's saying, here's a sin that's just as bad as the, the sexual immorality that you can think of, or the, or the murder that you can think of. This is a, here's the sin just as bad. It's hypocrisy. It's trying to impress the people around you with how good you are when your heart is far from God, while your heart is filled with pride and greed and bitterness and resentment, anger, unforgiveness. God is disgusted with that hypocrisy. It's an abomination. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you look good to the people around you, but you are an abomination to God. And now Jesus wraps up his words to the Pharisees with the third thing he says, and this really is sort of the linchpin. This is sort of the, this is sort of the reason why their hearts are still far from God. Number three, he says, you refuse to believe the good news. You refuse to believe the good news. You justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, he says in verse 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And then he says this, verse 16. And this is one of those just fun verses that if someone's preaching through the book of Luke, they are going to just kind of bang their head against this verse, right? Until they sort it out by God's grace. This is, this is a fun one. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Jesus says, here is your problem, Pharisees. Here is the nub of your problem. The, the law and the prophets, these, this, this law that you say you love so much, This law that you say you're keeping it so well, everyone around you is impressed, God is thrilled with you, you're the man, you're doing it great, you are the law keeper, you're the poster boy for righteousness because you're keeping the law. Jesus is saying you don't actually even understand what the law is all about. The law and the prophets, they were until John. So John the Baptist has come and he has 
preached a, a, a new message. A, a new page has turned. The law and the prophets have been fulfilled. That era is over. It's led up to this point where John is going to preach, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he's going to point at Jesus and say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the, the law, you don't understand the law. You, you, you can't keep the law in such a way that you get to earn your way into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, into eternity with God forever. You can't earn your way into justification. You can't keep the law so well that God will be pleased with you. You cannot do it. If you, if you think you can, you don't understand how the law has operated. It has, it has operated until this point as a school teacher to, to show us we need a Savior. We need righteousness that comes from outside of us. John the Baptist showed up and started preaching, repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he pointed at me and said, here's why the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Jesus came and proved to anyone who had eyes to see and ears to hear that He was was the one that the law and the prophets were pointing to. The law was designed from day one to show us that we needed a Savior. That we couldn't keep the law. That we we, we couldn't be perfectly obedient. Not even close. God knows your heart. Jesus says. I mean, let's stop and think about that. God knows your lust. He knows your bitterness. He knows when you pretend to be happy with someone, but you're not. He knows when you refuse to forgive. He knows when you choose to love yourself rather than love others. He knows. He knows that you've never done anything, and neither have I. We've never done anything that wasn't tainted by pride in some way. We cannot keep the law. We need a Savior. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you think that you're like, you've got the law mastered. You don't understand it at all. It was here to show you, you need a Savior. And so that's where the, that weird phrase at the end of verse 16 comes to play. It's because, because there are people who by God's grace do have eyes to see and ears to hear. Since then, the good news of the kingdom, at the end of verse 16, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. That's a weird phrase. Um, that's, a, that's one that, that, that when, they're, when, when people who are a lot smarter than me are trying to translate the Greek into English, it's tricky. It's a difficult phrase. But when we think about it, in the, in the, within the story of salvation, of the, the way the Bible works, the way the Gospel works, when we think about it in the big picture... Well, we can understand that these are the people who, by God's grace alone, want Jesus. When they, when they say they're forcing their way into the kingdom, they, they're clamoring for Jesus. They're saying, they're, they're like the ones in the Beatitudes who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who, who realize they are spiritually bankrupt. They want Christ, and they want Christ alone. They, they, they're done with their sin, and they want to be in the kingdom, and their only way is the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. They want Jesus. And so they're going to trust and follow Jesus even if everyone they know abandons them. They are clamoring 
for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, don't you see, Pharisees? Don't you see? Like, they, they get it. The sinners get it. They get it. And here you are. You don't even understand how the law works. You, you think you're the poster boy. You, 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 you think you're the, you think you're the educator. You don't understand how it works. These people coming in off the street, clamoring to get in, because they understand they can't keep the law. They can't obey. They need a Savior. Pharisees want nothing to do with him. They want nothing to do with him. They ridicule him. They reject him. And soon they're going to kill him. They think that since they have successfully impressed the people around them, that they're good to go. Jesus says, no. No, the the good news of the Gospel is being preached. The good news of the Kingdom of God is being preached. And you want nothing to do with it. So Jesus has just clear, devastating truth for the Pharisees. Now, if you are this morning, and again, I don't know. I don't know what's happening in your hearts. I have no idea. You, you could be at church this morning. You could be at church every Sunday morning for reasons for all... I have no idea. I don't know. You could be fooling me. I'm really, really, really smart, but I get fooled sometimes. So if you are a Pharisee, if you are for, for here for some reason just to impress maybe your family, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, you just don't want anybody to think badly of you, so you're just doing the church thing. You're doing as much of it as you need to do so that people stay off your back. And, and you know whether or not in your heart you love God. You know in your heart whether or not you hate your sin. You know in your heart whether or not Jesus is your only hope to be forgiven of your sin and to, to escape God's wrath and to enjoy worshiping God forever. You know whether you believe the Gospel or not. So if you're here for some other reason, I, I beg you to believe the Gospel. Believe the Gospel. Turn to Jesus as your Savior. This is not, I mean, this, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying to you. He's saying, you're, if, this is an abomination before God. God knows your heart. You will be judged for your sin. Do what these sinners in the days of Jesus were doing. They're clamoring to get in. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Believe in Jesus. And for those who have, for those who do trust Jesus, those who, who do believe in Jesus, those who do belong to Jesus, Christians, this, this passage has a lot to say. There's many things, many ways we could apply this, these verses to, um, to Christians, but we're just going to focus on one thing this morning. One thing this passage has to say to Christians, it's this, be holy, be holy.
verse 17 and 18, say this, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now again, we don't have all of the sort of conversational transitions here. Um, But it's clear what Jesus is doing. It's clear what he's doing. And, And Paul does this in his letters as well. It's, it's, it's basically this. If you, if you say to the Pharisees, you can't keep the law, you need to trust Jesus. If you, if you say to the Pharisees, Jesus has completely fulfilled the law. Like, like all of the ceremonial stuff, the, the priests and the sacrifices and, and the, and all of the temple, all of that was leading up to Jesus and he fulfills all of it and all of it was showing us like the, the sacrifice, the sacrificial lambs and the, and the temple and the, and the clean and unclean laws and all of the ceremonial law. It was all showing us that we need the righteousness of Christ. The eternal priesthood of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. Jesus fulfills all of that. And then, and then we, we say to the Pharisees, and the moral law, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal. Jesus obeys that. He is the only one who can. We cannot keep that in a way that pleases God. So we need Jesus. Now, when you say that, the danger, of course, is that, oh, well, it doesn't matter what we do then. That's always the danger, right? It doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't really matter. We can throw out the Ten Commandments. They don't matter. They don't matter. All we need is Jesus. Right? So that's the danger. And Jesus is smacking that down right now. He says, no, 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 no. It would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for the law of God to pass away. You are to obey the law of God. And, and by that he means the, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. No, you can't just go killing people because you're a Christian. Because you're trusting Jesus. That's not how it works. The Pharisees would say that. But the interesting thing here, and the reason Jesus has everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, the reason he has that law here is because he is showing us who the Pharisees really are. Okay, so now, hang with me just a couple more minutes. The, the, the reason that verse 18 is in this section is because it is a classic example of how the Pharisees actually were not keeping the law of God. There are many times, the the Pharisees were sort of famous. There's many times where Pharisees are on the record saying that a husband can divorce his wife for pretty much any reason. If she burns the food, he has the right to divorce her. If he finds someone that he thinks is, is prettier than her, he can divorce his wife. The husband can, um, cast his wife aside for pretty much any reason. Now, I think that we have sort of like textual proof here that Luke is connecting that to he's connecting that to money as well. The Pharisees have rich friends 
who want to get divorced for any reason. And so the Pharisees are interpreting the law to give their rich friends a pass. I think Luke is... Am I, am I 100% sure? No, I'm like 78% sure. So that's a 78% point. But I think that's what Luke is saying there. But either way, we do know that the Pharisees are mangling the spirit of the law. The, the, the clear intention in the Old Testament is no divorce. What, what God joins together, man cannot tear apart. The clear intention in the Old Testament is God hates divorce. Marriage is sacred and holy and permanent and precious and divorce is is awful. And so what the Pharisees had done, though, is that they had taken the exception where Moses, and this was really a, a way to care for women who were just being cast aside, Moses had made an exception, an allowance in the Old Testament. The Pharisees had taken that allowance, that, that exception, and they had made the rule out of it. They were mangling the law. They were showing, they were showcasing for anybody who had eyes to see that they didn't care about the intention of God, the design of God. They didn't care about the Creator. They didn't care what God meant in His Word. They were just looking for loopholes. They were looking for loopholes. But I mean, any clear-thinking person reads the Old Testament and they realize God hates divorce. The Pharisees didn't care about the heart of God. They didn't care what God ultimately wanted. They didn't care how how God had ultimately designed the universe to work. They were thriving on that loophole. They were mangling the Word of God. This is just an example of that. Jesus is using that example to remind us, to remind those who belong to Him, to those who are trusting and following Him, that we are to honor the Word of God honor the law of God with the way that we live. We are to obey the moral law of God. We are to live the way God wants us to live. We are not to try to find as many loopholes as we can. I mean, obviously, loophole divorce wasn't just a problem in the Pharisees' day. It's a problem now. The vast majority of, of, of church people divorces are nowhere near allowable by Scripture. Now, now I, we have to say, and I always say when I talk about this, the beautiful good news, you belong to Jesus, you've been forgiven. You are 1,000% forgiven. There is no condemnation for you. If you look back now and you say, I, I got divorced and I got remarried, I should have never, that was wrong. That, by, the, by the Bible standards, that was wrong. You're, you're forgiven. Not by me. I mean, you're forgiven by me, but that's not what matters. God forgives you. There's no condemnation. And you're not like living in perpetual adultery or something like that. The the marriage that you have now is legitimate before God. There's no condemnation. But we have to stop and think here, don't we? 
This is a very powerful example of the fact that if we're going to truly be holy, then we need to be changed from the inside out. Because we are, I mean, doesn't, doesn't that, doesn't our experience with divorce, there are friends who have gone through it, people that we've tried to counsel as they've gone through it, or ourselves as we've gone through it, doesn't, isn't that what, uh, like a, like a classic example of how our hearts want the exception. We want the loophole. We want to do what we want with the Word of God. This is just one of many ways, many, many ways, where it's clear to us, if we are going to be actually holy, we need to be born again. We need new hearts. We need what only God can do for us through His Spirit. Because what God does for us, and unless you are just faking me out and you're a Pharisee, it's why you're here this morning. It's why you're here this morning is because God gives us a love for His Word. God gives us a desire to obey. So now I can repent of the ways where I try to use loopholes to justify my behavior. I can repent of the way I use excuses to justify my behavior. I am never tempted this way, but I've heard other pastors are to say something like, well, I've got this pet sin here on the side. I really should kick it to the curb. I really should put that sin to death. I really should repent of it. I really should confess it to a few people so that they know, so that they're keeping me accountable. I should really do some, some real, you know, take some real steps to go to war against that sin. But, you know, the church is actually doing pretty good. You know, the tides are up. People are coming. Last week, a bunch of old people said they liked the sermon. I got some nice pastor appreciation gifts. God must be happy with me. I will keep my pet sin a little while longer. Say, pastors wouldn't do that. You're right, we wouldn't. But if we did, my only way forward to hate that, to repent of that, my only way forward is the Spirit of God. My only hope to turn against that in my life, my only hope is that God gives me a heart for that, that loves Him more than it loves myself, loves His Word more than it loves the way I want to interpret it. My only shot, my only shot is the Gospel. My wife gets tired and crabby sometimes. That's all I really want to say about that. I'm just going to keep going on. I just, I just wanted to confess that for her. <clears throat> You're welcome. Um, my first instinct when I am impatient and rude and unloving with my wife is to say, well, it's because she was tired and crabby. It's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm a sinner. It's her fault. It's her fault. I can repent of that. I can repent of all that self-justification. I don't need it. 
God knows my heart. God has shot me through with forgiveness. Because my wife is so kind to me and helps me see these things, and Colin helps me see these things, and I've got other friends that help me see these things, I'm, I'm learning how big of a sinner I am. It's taking a while. I'm learning. God knows my sin better than I do, and he's completely forgiven me. And God knows there are sins I need to confess, sins I need to fight against, and, I, and it, I'm, not, I'm not fighting against them because I just don't know they're there. I, I really don't. I'm sure that there are sins right now that I'm ignorant of. I'm sure there are. God's forgiven me for those ones too. God knows me better than I know myself, and I am completely forgiven. I don't need to justify myself. I don't need to say, well, I'm, I'm impatient with my wife because, you know, my dad was impatient with my mom. No, no, no. I, I'm impatient with my wife because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's my problem. God sees my heart. I'm a sinner. The, the, the gospel is this beautiful, freeing thing where I can say, I don't have to justify myself anymore. And the other thing the gospel does is the gospel gives me a love for the law, which is crazy. If you know me well, you know that I wouldn't naturally have a love for more rules. I don't naturally have a law, a love for someone looking over my shoulder and saying, this is how you should live. The moment... This is a theme in my life, and it's probably a theme in most of your lives as well. The moment someone says, this is how you should live, my first instinct is like, I'm never going to do that. That's stupid. Hate it. Don't do it. Won't do it. God's Spirit has done something inside me. God's Spirit, by His grace, is making me more... He's making me actually interested in knowing what the Word of God means and what it truly means to honor God through my obedience. Not to look at the Word of God and try to get away with as much as I possibly can. Not, not to look at my sin and just build up all these self-justifying excuses. I can repent of all of that. If people's approval is our biggest desire, then we will mangle the Word of God. If, if having people understand why we do the stuff we do, If that's our biggest desire, then we will mangle the Word of God. But if God changes us by His grace, and He grows us in His grace, and He gives us an actual love for His Word, then we can do what we were created to do, which is glorify Him. This is true for every Christian. This is available to you today. An actual hatred for sin, because God hates it, and an actual love for His Word, because it glorifies God. God has given us a new heart. We don't have to be loophole people anymore. We don't have to be excuse people anymore. We can instead more and more and more repent of our sin, grow in obedience, pursue holiness. Let's get after it this week. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the work that you do in us. We would not...
we would not even be interested in trying to do this work. We couldn't do it even if we wanted to, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't be interested in doing it either. We're not, we're not interested in anything but making sure that people around us think we're good and getting away with all the stuff we want to get away with. That's who we are. That's who we are in our, in our nature. Before you rescued us from our foolishness, from our rebellion, from our sin, that's who we were. And so we thank you, God, that we can, in, in your grace, by your Spirit, we can more and more and more hate sin and, and, and hate loopholes and hate just, self-justification. We can, we can more and more and more look for what your word actually means. And what it would truly mean to, to obey your word in a way that honors you. We can do this, God, because of your grace, by your spirit. We pray that you would help us, motivate us, encourage us, remind us, strengthen us to walk worthy of the gospel. You have been so gracious to us, abundantly gracious to us. You have known our hearts and You have forgiven us in Christ. Help us, God, to live lives that, are, that, that, bring, that bring glory to You, that bring honor to You. To the power of Your Spirit, by Your grace, because of the gospel of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.